Hi, welcome to Beyond the Paper. My name is Brendan, and I'm a recent graduate of the Bachelor of Speech, Hearing, and Language Sciences. And with us today, we have Dr. Jin Hyun Cho from the Linguistics Department. Uh, but you prefer to be called Jean. Yes, that right? that's easier for yeah. everyone. Welcome, Jean. How are you today? Oh, very good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. Um, so today we're going to be discussing Jean's recent paper in the Journal of Gender and Language titled "Why Do Interpreters Need to Be Beautiful: Aesthetic Labor of Language Workers." Um, so Jean, tell us why do interpreters need to be beautiful? That's such a big question. <laughs> <laughs> do your best. <laughs> Yes, I'll do my best. Um, interpreters in Korea, they used to perform on the basis of their language skills. But now there are too many interpreters in the market. And as the market becomes saturated, they need additional values. So this is where appearance comes in. So now interpreters in Korea, they need to be um, good at language, but they also need to be beautiful. So they need to be beautiful. Um could you elaborate on that? Um, I think you bring up these a couple of concepts uh, that uh, have become common in, in Korean uh, parlance, like a couple of phenomenons given the terms tongyok uh, yoshin. Yes, tongyok yoshin. And goddess interpreters, is that, that's what that means? That's right. And you're, I don't know how to pronounce this one. Right. What's uh, 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 the English version? Good-looking interpreters? Oh, 얼짱. 얼짱 tongyoksa. Sorry. Yes. No, that's fine. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> yes. Really not familiar with yes, that. Yes, basically they are the same concept. Oljang Tongyoksa, good-looking interpreters and goddess interpreters. You know, as you can tell, they both emphasize good looks. Mm-hmm. So it is. Um, this is a phenomenon that started around 2012 um, in Korea. So that's when interpreters who appear on TV, such as broadcast interpreters. So there are broadcast interpreters in Korea, and they work for foreigners who appear on talent shows, such as X Factor here. And because foreigners in Korea, they don't speak Korean, so they need uh, an interpreter who can work for foreign contestants and for the show host. So because they appear on TV, because of the nature of media, they prefer a good-looking female interpreter. So this is how the phenomenon started, goddess interpreters, good-looking interpreters. So I became interested in this topic because I was trained as an interpreter in Korea. So I worked as an interpreter um, there until 2005 and came to Australia in 2006. So when I was working as an interpreter, there was no such demand for physical attractiveness. But we were required to be perfect at bilingualism, you know, perfect at English to be more precise. So I was trained and trained and trained to be as perfect as I could be at English. But these days, interpreters, contemporary interpreters working in Korea, they are under pressure to be beautiful. So I became interested in finding out about why interpreters need to be beautiful in Korea. And when I realized, based on my research, that there is this uh, gender dynamic in Korea. So could you explain more about the the gender dynamics that you perceive in this phenomenon or that that are apparent? Yeah, sure. Um, So can I ask you a question first before I start to elaborate on this? (laughs) So the profession of interpreting, do you think it's a female job or a male job? I never considered that it 
it had a gender. Right. Well, that's fair enough because the interpreters have to be invisible. Mm-hmm. Right. We are invisible. We are there, but we shouldn't be shown. So, so the reason why I asked asked you the question is that the interpreting is traditionally it's a female job. So there are far more women than men in the field. So when I was in Korea, right after I finished my university, when I was looking for a job, I thought that this is uh, something that I can do well because uh, there were more women than men. I'm not sure if you know much about Korea, but um, it's a male-dominant society. So the labor market prefers men. You know, to women. So it's very hard to get into the market in the first place. And even if you get a good job at a big company, there is a glass ceiling. So you can only go so far uh-huh. as a woman. So interpreting is is one of those professions in Korea where women can go quite far in, in terms of having the highest level of competence or you know, and then you can actually perform. You have there is some merit in. in that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. exactly why or I there was. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah that, that's right. That's why I got into the field because there were uh, far you know many women and those interpreters who appeared on TV. They looked so uh, fantastic. I mean, that was before um, those good-looking interpreters, but still there were interpreters appearing on TV as master English speakers or as. Uh, Gurus of English, um, people who wanted to tell and you know, teach people how to study English because English is uh, such a valued capital in Korea. So I thought that this is uh, where I can do well. It looked like a merit-based profession. So I went, I studied very hard to study English, and I was a monolingual Korean, and I never had a chance to learn English overseas. So I studied by myself on. And believe it or not, there is a coaching school designed for aspiring interpreters in Korea. So it's very hard to get into a graduate school of translation and interpreting. So I studied very hard at a coaching school and got into the school, got into the graduate school and finished my degree and thought that my future will be bright. <laughs> that wasn't the case. Or was it? Oh, it looks bright right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I think I you know, have done better than I thought. But as soon as I started working in the field, I thought that there, I realized that there was a big gap between dreams and realities. So my dream was uh, that I'll be working as a high-flying interpreter and free from corporate obligations and I didn't need to belong to an organization and I would be basically a free soul, right? Yeah. Yeah, free spirit. But what I didn't notice was that I was in the gendered structures of the market. That means even though there are, there were and still are predominantly more female interpreters, those who hired interpreters, they were males. Right, So I was working for male clients, and I was a corporate interpreter. I worked for Microsoft and for Hewlett-Packard, um, and those people who are executives and who are you know, board members, they were all males. But when I was working as an interpreter and before that, there weren't, the market wasn't saturated. So there was more demand uh, for interpreters than supply. So those male clients, they had to woo interpreters, right, who were in short supply. But 
as the market has become saturated, now when I was studying translation interpreting in Korea, there was there were only two graduate schools, but now there are ten graduate schools. So every year, about two hundred graduates they enter the market. So now the market is saturated, and those male clients they have the luxury of choosing a female interpreter. So when you have you know those interpreters with similar linguistic competencies, then which one would you choose as a male? Are you asking me? Yes. I know what your paper says. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I true. couldn't. I couldn't. Probably couldn't give you a straight answer, but yeah, I guess from your paper, you you point out that that the common response is yes, yes, they choose them based on their appearance. That's right. And probably, well, I guess it would be dependent on what kind of business they run or something, but within a, a structure, what the expected or, or mm-hmm. ideal appearance would be. That's that right. That's right. That, that's actually that leads to what I wanted to say. Like you said. Uh, previously, I noticed that you said two kind of semi-contradictory things, which is, and uh, on the one hand, you, in in the introduction, we spoke about, you spoke about the, uh, this good-looking interpreter coming mm-hmm. out of the broadcast right um, scenario, right, and on the other hand, you said we're supposed to be invisible. Mm-hmm. So, is it just the broadcast scenario? Because it seems you actually bring up this market liberalization of right. So there used to be one school. Is there mm-hmm. still just one school, or the something happened to the market and then there were there was the ability for interpreters to mm-hmm. get an education in many different from many different schools is that right mm. there was a oh, that's more. a good question i think there is now some there are some niche markets for interpreters such as broadcast interpreters so when the um, interpreting studies first started, there was no such thing as broadcast interpreters, right? But now with globalization, um, there are many foreigners living in Korea. So that has led to changes in the market. So broadcast interpreters is a visible form of interpreting, and which is something very new. And I guess that leads us to this next idea, which is the, I guess, the theory that you use to explain mm-hmm. this phenomenon, um, in which you call, which uh, you name aesthetic labor. And I right. assume that's a not just your. It's not my of, invention. Yeah, not your invention. Mm-hmm. But can you explain to us what aesthetic labor is? Uh, aesthetic labor it uh, based on emotional labor. So emotional labor it refers to people having to work their emotional side of the work, like um, call center people having to listen to customers' complaints, customers making complaints, and or people who engaged in uh, emotionally taxing work. But uh, aesthetic labor is a concept that refers to organizations uh, which try to define their workers on the basis of their aesthetics. So, for example, retail workers, they have to follow the dress code of the organizations. And salespeople, like car salespeople, if you go and look at the car salespeople, then they are all good looking. And have you noticed that? Have you noticed any car sale people? I don't, I don't own a car. <laughs> so I don't pay much attention. With but their, I, I know what you mean. Yes. yes. So you go to certain places and there's a there's a definite sort of type. That's that, right. That the yes. employment either has consciously or unconsciously. That's right. Uh, or the, somehow there's a conformity to the employees. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. Especially in terms of the uh, general 
appearance or the, the how people might judge them as being attractive. Yeah. yeah, we're looking at the linguistics department here. So you will see a range of people in terms of appearances. You know, there are some people who are more aesthetically in the aesthetically oriented, but uh, you can basically wear whatever you want and you can even dye your hair, right? But you wouldn't see people with uh, red hair in a retail uh, sector because they have to follow the organizational rules uh, that define aesthetically, you know, how aesthetically pleasing is pleasing enough. So that's uh, what aesthetic labor is all about. So it is uh, predominantly... Uh, it, it is ap- applied to retail sectors and service areas, but now it has penetrated into other areas, such as interpreting. I guess moving into how you decided to in- investigate this, uh, I understand that your research involved emailing English-Korean interpreters for their thoughts about this. That's right. Um, uh Especially the well, especially asking them if they've heard of these terms: good-looking interpreters, goddess interpreters. That's right. And um, and also, you asked them about their experiences, whether they'd had they mm-hmm. they felt like they had to engage in this kind of behavior. That's right. That right. That's right. Yeah. What kind of responses did you get? Oh, I got very interesting responses. Um, so, out of those twenty-seven participants, only two of them they said that they hadn't heard of the term, but. Uh, one of them uh, wasn't working as an interpreter. She was uh, based in the U.S. following her husband's work. And the other one was also not working as an interpreter. You know, she was overseas. But uh, except those two people, the rest of them, they said that they had heard of the term. And also they were practicing uh, practicing aesthetic labor. Were they predominantly in Korea as well? Or like, oh, were yeah. they working out yes, of Korea? Yes, they were all... Uh, working in Korea, and no, except for one person. Yeah, one participant was uh, in Australia, but um, but she also she said that she heard of the term, and so they were, they said that um, these days, um, if you look at advertisements looking for interpreters, then they require certain even certain heights. And modest, they emphasize modest and neat appearances, and they also require a certain height. So, what should height? You know, what? Why are heights? Um, are re- why are they required? What's it to do with the <laughs> interpreting? Obviously, it's yeah. not to do with the competence level. No, no. 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 Um, on that, actually, what what were what what did your respondents identify as the kinds of things that they had? They felt that they had to to conform to or or maybe to do in order to right in order to engage in that market successfully in, in that way. Yeah, the participants um, they were using a range of um, personal, I, I what I call self styling strategies because interpreters are freelancers, so they are not bound by organizational rules on aesthetics. Instead, they were employing their own strategies to enhance aesthetic um, attractiveness. So, for example, this participant, she was in her mid-40s, so she was much older compared to the other participants because interpreting is uh, seen as a job um, in which young females can engage and leave when uh, after a certain amount of time. And what she said was... 
Very interesting. She said, um, I try my best to be physically fit because uh, I find that it's becoming harder as I get older. But the day before an interpreting assignment, I always cover my gray hairs. This is where it becomes most obvious that labor is a really, right. really valid and, and, and key term. To, right, that's yeah, right. It, it actually is work, isn't it? That's right. Uh, so yeah. she's doing extra work before, during between jobs right. in order to maintain that. That's fant- That's fascinating. They're youthful, that's, you know. Yeah, look. but that's yeah. a lot of work that she's not getting paid for in order to get paid to do exactly. a job yeah. just for her level of competency. That's right. Exactly. Um, on that, uh, what did you think was the most, did you think that was the most interesting um, response or what was there something more interesting or were there, was there more telling information that you got out of the respondents that you weren't, ex- wasn't it? That you were not expecting. Um, I think well, that one I didn't certainly expect expect that one. And but the other self styling strategies include using voice projection. So one of them said that she was attending a coaching school where Korea is a land of coaching schools, right? <laughs> coaching schools for everything, uh, not just for university entrance exams, but for everything. So there are coaching schools for people who want to become newscasters because newscasters is one of the most desirable jobs in Korea. Yes. Really? Yes. You know, it's <laughs> one of the most glamorous jobs, especially for female university students. Ah, so okay. she said that she was attending um, the coaching school designed for uh, aspiring newscasters in order to learn how to use her voice. Because she realized that it's important to be able to engage uh, audiences with attractive voice. So voice projection was one of the self-styling strategies and also smiling. So smiling is a feminine gesture, right? Especially in Korea. Yeah. Ah, right. Okay. Yes, in, uh, not so much here, but in Korea, if we don't smile as strangers, if, we, you know, if you do that, then people would believe that that person's trying to take advantage of me. Ah. Yes, so, so we don't say, hi, how are you, with a smile, right? That it'll be met with a suspicion. <laughs> so... As a, so especially males, there's this uh, stereotypical male figure and you have to look serious and you have to you know, look like macho, look like a man. So men, if um, you know, they smile too much, then it, um, they, they, they're, regarded, you know, too, they're regarded too feminine. So smiling is a female gesture and some interpreters have said that they use smiling so they smile more often uh, when they do interpreting and they said that that really helps the client to uh, feel relaxed and sometimes um, they get calls from the same client uh, offering interpreting jobs. So smiling is one of the strategies and but what really struck me was the extent um, to which interpreters go to look beautiful. So some of them, they go to the gym on a regular basis, and they also invest in fashion, and even, and uh, none of them said that, but there were, some of them said that they have, they know of some interpreting colleagues who have gone under the knife. Oh, you mean plastic surgery? Yes, yes. that's yeah. right. Plastic surgery to look beautiful. Wow. You'd hope that that's tax deductible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think 
so it no, maybe not in Korea. Cost. Yeah, yeah, that's a shame. Do you think there's a lot of pressure on interpreters in Korea and in particular? But maybe do you think that that pressure extends outside to accommodate these factors, like in moving into an overseas market? Have you seen any evidence that this? I know you had in, interpreters who weren't working as interpreters who mm-hmm. lived overseas, mm-hmm. um, who didn't hadn't really come across the the concept, right? But did you? Do you have any? Did you get any insight that this is actually something that's expanding beyond the Korean market? Um, I haven't done any research on that, so I it's hard to make any comment on it. But certainly not here. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the Australian market, you know uh, there is the code of conduct for interpreters. So. It emphasizes accuracy, linguistic accuracy. So interpreters are not allowed to make any additions or omissions, and they have to be faithful to the source text and professional boundary impartiality. But no, there's no such thing as a aesthetic requirement here. So as long as you are linguistically competent, then you'll be fine. You know, whereas in Korea, you have to you have to be aesthetically as well as linguistically competent. Thank you, Jean, for lending us your time today. Uh, you've all... You're very welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you've been listening to Beyond the Paper. Uh, feel free to enjoy our other casts and stay tuned for more.